Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Good afternoon, everybody. We're so glad to have Dr. Quantrilla Ard, who has her PhD and her Master's of Public Health, as well as a Master's in Philosophy. Um, Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Ard. Thank you, Dr. Lister. I am uh, so happy to be here. It's good to be in the space with you today. Wonderful, wonderful. So I got really excited about your work, particularly um, Mama's Voices and just kind of all of the um, advocacy work that you've been doing in the space of Black maternal health. And in lieu of Black History Month, I felt like we really needed to elevate that conversation, um, particularly from the uh, perspective of of mothers and, and their families. So can you kind of give us give us your origin story about like what what inspired you to get in this work and tell us a little bit more about what you do on a day-to-day basis? Sure. Um, well, let's start off with what inspired me. Initially, I knew I wanted to work in some sort of area that was related to black women's health. I mean, I'm a black woman. I come from a family of black women. And I knew that that was an area that I was highly interested in. Um, And I think my topics got a little more narrow as I went through my public health education. And my thesis was really looking at specific breastfeeding practices among low-income women. And then I said, you know what, there's something there. There's something that we're missing. There's, there's, there's a piece of the pie that we're not quite able to talk about. And so when I decided to continue my education and start my doctoral process, um, I ended up having my own maternal health issue. Um, I had a maternal near miss when it came to my first pregnancy with my son. I had severe preeclampsia. And so that really, um, it shifted my, my perspective a little bit as far as the specifics of what I wanted to look at. Um, but I knew I needed to stay in the same lane. And so as I was, you know, going through this recovery process while still in this doctoral program, I really started to narrow my focus on what this experience was that I was having. I was noticing that I had other friends who were uh, also having negative birth outcomes. And we all had similar stories, right? We were very well educated black women, you know, um, really good insurance, um, a very decent, comfortable living. So I was trying to understand, well, what is it that we're all experiencing that is bringing us to this same outcome and you know but here I was experiencing this 
particular health outcome and seeing my peers experience similar health outcomes that did not match what we had been taught to believe growing up. And so that really drove my process in uh, digging into maternal health as it related to black and brown women and birthing people. And I started to see like, um, like a little thread, right? And I kept tugging at that thread and it just kept unraveling, kept unraveling. And so that really um, cemented my personal attachment to the work as well as my professional attachment to the work particularly when it as it relates to uh, black maternal health and black infant health I am an advocate I'm a champion for anything that involves how we get this particular health disparity to go away Um, specifically I am very interested in lived experiences and how we get women to share their stories because I feel like when we share our stories, it rehumanizes the birthing experience for black and brown birthing people. You know, we have these these horrible statistics, but as long as we're married to those numbers, it almost gives us a blinder when it comes to the people that are associated with those numbers. And every time I hear a story, it's like, this is a person this is an infant, this is a family, this is a community that's impacted by all of these numbers. And so that's that's something that's really personal to me because I have a chance to do that. I get a chance to share my story on several different platforms. And I feel like that is one of the ways we can really affect change is by getting these stories in front of people who are making the policies, in front of providers, right? Because what we're trying to do is to uplift and amplify those voices so that people don't continue to ignore the people behind the numbers. Right, right. Wow, there was so much there. Um, I wanted to follow up. You had said that you had a near miss in terms of um, being diagnosed with preeclampsia with severe features. Um, And that that experience kind of further cemented your commitment to the work. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about that near-missed experience and then how elevating uh, the mother's voice um, can prevent some of these near-misses? Because as you know, for every maternal death, we have about 100 near misses. So really the maternal death is really just the tip of the iceberg. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, again, thinking that I am so well prepared for this pregnancy, you know, I have an advanced degree before I get pregnant, you know, I am feeling like I am just ready to do this, right? I I have this bachelor's in biology. I know how it works technically, right? But it's a whole other ball game when you're going in and it's like go time. So initially, um, the pregnancy went well. There were no issues. I was healthy. No, no concerns. Um, but around 34-ish weeks, I started to have this very odd feeling of unease. And I could not really put my finger on it. Um I wasn't in pain, you know, I wasn't having any signs that would 
caused me to call my doctor. Um, and my husband is a healthcare professional. So, you know, he's going down the list, you know, are you hurting? You know, is this happening? Is this happening? And none of those things were happening. So he's concerned because he's like, I see that you're not well, like something's going on, but we don't know how to medically measure what this unwell feeling is. And so, um, for about two weeks, I just kept complaining. I don't feel well. Something's not right. And um, I had finally reached the point. I knew something wasn't right. I just couldn't. I didn't know what it was. And so I had finally gotten to the point where I was going to see my obstetrician every two weeks. Um, so that was my first appointment. I was so excited. We're going to start going every two weeks. And that was the day I found out that my blood pressure was elevated and they were like, we have to just kind of monitor you to see if it goes down. If it goes down, we'll send you back home, um, which I know now is a problem, right? If my blood pressure is elevated, don't send me home at all, right? But 13 years ago, um, you know, right. So I, uh, I was sent over to the hospital and y'all, here's another tidbit. Please don't ever ask a mama to get into her car to drive to the hospital even if it's around the corner in a different parking lot because I could have had a stroke or a seizure or anything on the way to the front part of the hospital so that's a little plug okay so I go in um and they put me on triage and I'm sitting there now mind you this whole time I'm trying to call my husband because I'm like oh I think we're gonna have to have this baby and I'm just I'm terrified because I'm like I knew something wasn't right. I knew something wasn't right. But I just didn't, I didn't feel like I could call because I didn't know what to tell them. You know, I didn't, I didn't have something wrong per se in my head. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You didn't have the diagnosis. So you didn't feel like you could even maybe open yourself up for. I mean, I didn't, I didn't feel like, oh, well, if I call and tell them, oh, something doesn't feel right. I didn't think that that would prompt anyone to tell me to come to the hospital. I see. Or okay. even, you know, we'll just stop by the office and we'll check, you know, what's going on. So I, I didn't, I didn't feel that way. And so I eventually get um, admitted because my blood pressure keeps going up, keeps going up. And I'm just, I'm trying to be calm, as calm as I can, but I am losing it on the inside. I'm not prepared to have this baby mentally. I'm not prepared to have this baby physically. We have nothing, like none of the stuff is put up in the room. We didn't even have a car seat. Now I get to the point where I finally am able to reach my husband because he was supposed to come into work at that same hospital that evening. So he's at home, knocked out sleep. <laughs> And so I finally get a hold of him and I'm like, we're about to have this baby. And he's like, this is your first, this is my firstborn. Yes. So we are both like, what is happening right now? And he gets over to the hospital and I'm in this almost like this out of body experience because in my head, I'm like, how can I be as sick as they tell me I am? but not have had, you know, some type of symptoms or something to even alert me. And then I'm like, well, duh, I knew something wasn't right. I just didn't know what it was. And so, you know, so often we don't, we're afraid to cause a stir. Where does that come from? Well, I think we've seen how other people have been treated. 
especially people who look like us, right? We've seen other people be dismissed. We've seen other people brushed off and sent home. So unfortunately, we have developed this habit of waiting until it gets so bad, right? Oh, we can't ignore it now. We have to call the ambulance, you know, all those kind of things, um, rather than even really believing our own bodies when they're telling us that something is wrong. And so here I am in this in this situation where, you know, my blood pressure is completely out of control. And now they have to induce me because, you know, something has to happen, right? And that began a spiral, a downward spiral of just being dismissed, uh, not being listened to. I was even chastised by um, my anesthesiologist. Um, I, I was told that I was being too sensitive and oh, well, is she like this all the time? Which is again, going back to why I didn't say anything in the first place. But I kept asking questions. Well, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And I think they took that as a, as me being hysterical and I don't know who wouldn't be hysterical in that position where you go for a regular checkup and you end up having a baby that next day. Like who isn't hysterical in, at some extent, right? Um, and it was just, it was horrible. I had to ask one of the nurses. Uh, she came in and she started wrapping my bed with um, some like towels and blankets and stuff. And I'm like, ma'am, what, what's going on? And she's like, honey, you are really sick. So if you start having seizures and all this kind of stuff, uh, we have to protect you and make sure that you don't hurt yourself. I was like, seizures? Nobody told me about seizures? Like, what is going on? I was not even fully made aware of how sick I was going into this hospital. All I knew was your blood pressure is elevated. The only way we can cure your blood pressure is to deliver the baby. That's all they told me. So I'm flabbergasted that I'm so ill that I could have seizures and they have to wrap my my bed with towels or now we're going to give you this medicine but not even really tell you what the medicine's supposed to do oh it's supposed to you know make help make your blood pressure go down but it's a muscle relaxant okay so why am I having a muscle relaxant it starts to click okay well muscle relaxant no seizures like it starts to click but no one's explaining it to me so I'm like, what is going on? Then we have this situation where um, they're like, your labor's not progressing. So I've, they've done, you know, I, I don't even know what kind of stuff they were trying to do, but um, the labor wasn't progressing. And they say, well, hey, can you just, let's just try this. Um, what is it? The, the thing with the P. Yes, the Pitocin. And so now I may not have known much, but I knew that the Pitocin was going to not be comfortable. So I said, well, let's do this epidural now. I don't want to get stuck. I can't get the epidural. So I, you know, now crazy enough, I'm on the muscle relaxant medication. So I literally can't even hold the pen to sign the paperwork for all the stuff for the epidural. And I'm like, oh my goodness. This, I mean, bananas, right? So I sign the paperwork and they give me the epidural. Um, and this is where the anesthesiologist is like, oh, she's so sensitive. I mean, hot mess. 
Well, because I think I was, they were already doing certain things and not really telling me. So they had broken my water. They had put an internal monitor on and they were like, oh, well, the internal monitor, they said, well, we can't really get a good read on the baby. So we need to do the internal monitor. And I'm in my head, I'm thinking internal, 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 right? Um, and they're like, oh, well, if you feel a gush, it's just us breaking your water. Like no explanation. They're just like, oh, this, 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 this. And I'm still trying to make sense of what's happening to me. Um, so I'm already in some pain, right? So if I'm not effacing, if I'm not opening up, you can imagine that I'm still closed and you're trying to talk about, I'm going to put an internal monitor on, right? So I'm just, I'm touched out. Like nobody's really talking to me. And here comes the anesthesiologist and he's like, oh, she's so, she's so sensitive, sir. I have been poked, stretched, pulled. And now, you know, and this is my first time. This is my first experience. So I get the epidural. And one of the side effects of the epidural is lowered blood pressure. Now, for me, as the person with the high blood pressure, good. But for the baby who is now probably used to this high pressure environment, not so good. So Quentin's heart rate starts to drop. And then the next thing you know, Everybody rushes in the room and they're like, we have to do an emergency C-section. I'm sorry, what? I mean, what? (laughs) And I'm so tired by this time. I said, you know what? Whatever. I'm so exhausted. And nobody's really talking to me. They're just kind of, you know, doing whatever they need to do. And at one point I just shut down because I'm like, okay, what do I need to do? to get myself and my son out of this hospital so I just stop asking questions I just whatever they tell me to do I'm doing it and then they come in about this emergency c-section and I'm like dear god what is gonna happen so they're you know again signing papers I can't hold a pen signing papers and the next thing you know they're wheeling me in and I keep telling them hey, I feel y'all touching me, right? Because I'm thinking epidural means no pain. And I'm like, but I feel I feel like somebody's doing something and I feel this and I feel that. That does not feel good. That does not feel good. And they're like, oh, honey, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. You're going to be okay. No, I feel. And then I get into the operating room. They pull up the curtain, you know, all this good stuff. And I felt them cut me open. I did. I did. And I screamed so loudly. I hope that they knew (laughs) that something was wrong. And so the doctor says, everybody stop. And he peeks over the curtain and says, I'm so sorry, but we have to get your baby out. We have to keep going. And I hear somebody say, well, I checked her. I promise I checked her. And I kept saying, I told you I could feel something. I told you I could feel something. I kept saying it. And then at some point, everything went black. So they'd probably just knock me all the way out. But I feel like all that could have been avoided. The the lack of communication, the lack of compassionate and respectful care. I mean, they treated me like a piece of meat. 
And all of that could have been avoided if I had just been seen as a human, bringing another human into the world who, yes, was scared and yes, was terrified. But it takes two seconds to have compassion for someone and to really help them navigate this super vulnerable position that they're in. And then on top of that, I have this extreme health issue right that puts me at risk and my baby at risk for not making it out of this hospital i'm grateful that i am here and my son is doing well and that we can share this story but i just felt like that could have been avoided and that's why i share my story so that other mamas can be like you know what even if they're not listening i'm gonna keep speaking up even if they have explained it to me five thousand times I'm going to ask again until I feel safe until I feel heard and listened to and seen and valued our bodies are not cattle we are humans and we deserve the same level of basic respect like we're not asking for extra we're just asking for the same basic level of respect that everyone else gets And that's why it's so important for black and brown mamas to know how to advocate for themselves and to speak up against if there's something happening to your body, you gotta, you have to advocate for yourself or at least have a support person there that is comfortable and willing and able to advocate for you. How, how do you teach that skill uh, to, to moms? I think it's it's hard because a lot of times um, you're f- already fighting against fear, right? And I think I was a little, not naive, but um, again, you know, talking about those, we, we go into an experience with the conditioning and the teaching that we have. And I went in thinking, well, you know, I'm smart, you know, I'm you know, I, I have a, a reasonable, you know, amount of, of health care and I've gone on to all my prenatal visits, so I should be treated just fine. But that was not the case. And then, so imagine a woman who looks like me, who maybe doesn't feel as confident or secure as I did going in. I mean, I didn't feel that way leaving, but I felt that way coming in, right? Imagine if she has not had good prenatal care imagine if maybe she doesn't have a support person there she already comes in feeling uh, less than or she already comes in carrying the baggage and this weight with her and so maybe she doesn't feel like she can stand up for herself so when we're trying to empower women and birthing people in this advocacy space in this uh, this role where they speak up for themselves we have to first address those areas where they are feeling less than or feeling um, unworthy right um, and that's hard that's hard to teach someone that you shouldn't have to put on a jacket or put on bravery like a coat like it's hard to teach people to that they are in they have intrinsic value just because they're human do you have any thoughts about how to establish rapport in a pretty 
rapid way. As you know, sometimes, especially on labor and delivery, things can move very quick. They can go from zero to 60 in a matter of seconds. And a lot of times as providers, you're so accustomed to kind of making the diagnosis, you know, enacting the treatment plan for that. And sometimes I, you know, I would agree that sometimes patients aren't always there or they don't get there as quick as maybe some providers do. So do you have any advice on how to establish rapport quickly that does communicate respectful care um, and the the patient or client being, you know, being humanized? Absolutely. In, in those moments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, tone. What That's tone and body language. But I want to start with tone because typically conversations happen before other stuff, right? Um, when you're talking to someone, it matters how you speak to them. Um, dismissiveness can be more than just what you say. It's how you say it. Um, for instance, when someone's coming in, um, asking them, how would you like to be referred to? You know, Mr., Mrs., you know, the pronouns, all of those things, very quickly just asking them what their name is, how they would like to be referred to, and introducing yourself, right? Because sometimes people just come and do stuff, you have no idea who they are. Well, who was that person? I don't know who that person was, right? And then very quickly, body language, right? So being careful not to roll your eyes or, you know, uh, take very offensive postures when you're in the room with the patient like everything is magnified by a hundred for the patient especially if they're in a health crisis so they know they pick up on stuff they pick up off if you're handling them roughly if you're you know huffing and puffing like gosh I have to do this you know all those yeah all those things can be so loud Right. And you think they're not. They are so loud to that patient who may be feeling so terrified in that moment. So tone, how you speak to people, making sure you introduce yourself, um, really taking the extra effort to make sure that that patient looking them in the eye. Right. Making eye contact with them um, and and telling them, hey, I'm going to asking them, can I touch you here? Can I do this? Blah, blah, blah. Those things are so critical to quickly establishing rapport with your patients where they, you know, they may not have their doctor that they've spent nine months going to. They may not have that doctor (laughs) when it's time to deliver that baby. So, you know, establishing that rapport is so important in those very early moments. uh, So the patient feels like they can trust you with their lives because they are. Right, right, right. So I know we're getting um, short on time, and I could have this conversation for probably another few hours. Can you describe, and I'm, I'm hoping that you've thought about this, I'm pretty sure you have, can you kind of describe if you could redo what happened to you? And um, even with the same, you know, um, diagnosis of severe preeclampsia. Can you describe what it should have looked like and what what you hope um, respectful birthing care would look like, you know, in our in our healthcare system? Oh yeah, for sure. I think for me, 
um, my ideal situation, even like you said, having that uh, preeclampsic issue would have just been having my birthing team just talk to me, you know, with compassion and care. And yes, things had to, you know, get done quickly and fast, but you can still take the time to explain to someone what is happening to them. I mean, unless I'm unconscious, talk to me, right? Um, and, and even if I am unconscious, talk to my support person, right? Um, commun- you can't over-communicate, in my opinion. And I feel like communication and, and really listening, because communication goes both ways, right, uh, would have completely made that experience 100% different. Because while I could not change the outcome of having that, that severe preeclampsia, um, the environment in which that happened could have absolutely been different. And that's what I really hope for any black or brown mama or birthing person going into this delivery space, this maternal space, is that they are received respectfully, compassionately, um, and that whatever circumstances may bring them there, that they are not fearing for their life, but that they see their team as um, an extension, right, of their, of their, of their birthing experience, um, and that they are not, um, they don't see them as someone who is going to take something else away from them. Well, I know a lot of our listeners will be um, really eager and fortunate if they are able to um, be a part of uh, your training experience, Mama's Voices. So can you give us a little bit of information of how to find you, how to um, interact with your your service platform and um, for patients and families who may be listening and are pregnant and want to elevate their voice, how, what kind of resources can you leave with our listeners? Absolutely. Um, I love Mama's Voices. Um, They are the training arm of the Preeclampsia Foundation, which is how I found them uh, when I did my own research about, well, gosh, what happened to me, right? I'm out of the hospital. Now what? What happened? Uh, So I did a little research and found the Preeclampsia Foundation and their training arm, which is called Mama's Voices, is specifically geared toward helping mamas and birthing people craft their story right to help them kind of make sense of what they've gone through but also to develop them as patient advocates and so this training is really designed it's a self-paced multi-module training that's designed to help not just you come up with a way to share your story but really to kind of help you process your story Uh, a lot of times I see that people don't even know what happened to them um and 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 that's really a big part of being able to share your story is how do you revisit it right and sometimes it's very traumatic for people um so they are very careful in how they guide folks through so that they don't re-traumatize um but that they get you to the point where you can say this is what happened to me i am ready and willing and now going through this training I'm capable of sharing my story in a way that not only impacts systemic change but also helps to um, 
empower someone else, right? If I share my story, then maybe you know, someone else will not have to experience what I experienced. And so that's really the premise of what Mama's Voices does in their training. And um, you can find them at mamasvoices.com, preeclampsiafoundation.com. I love making new friends. So you can find me on all the socials as well. I'm on Instagram as Boo, And I am on Twitter as QYRD08. And I'm also on, where else am I? I think I'm on the TikTok now too. Look, I sound real. I'm dating myself, the TikTok. Um, as the PhD mama with two M's. I know the TikTok. And so <laughs> I'm anywhere where you can just Google my name and find me, Quantrilla Ard. Um, I love, love, love um, empowering mamas and birthing people to use their voice as a tool of healing and as a tool of system change and resistance. Because listen, what we're not going to do is allow black and brown mamas and birthing people to keep dying at these rates, their babies to keep dying at these rates. And I feel like storytelling is central to that effort to close and eliminate those gaps in, in birthing outcomes. Absolutely. Well, this was a wonderful conversation. I'm hoping that we can have part two and I hope that our listeners are able to reach out to you because I think elevating mama's voices, I mean, nothing else needs to be said. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time, um, for our podcast and, um, and, continue to do just the awesome work that you're doing. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.